Welcome back to the Tapes Archive podcast, where we release interviews that have never been heard before. Please listen to episode 000, an introduction for the full backstory about this podcast series. On this episode, we have the artist who is named after his mother's oddly curled pinky toe, Dweezil Zappa. At the time of this interview in 1994, Zappa was 24 years old and out on tour with his brother Amit promoting their band, Z. In the interview, Dweezil talks about his dad, Frank, and what the phrase thespian penitentiary means to him. He also goes into great detail about his favorite Baywatch episode of all time, featuring Mitch, and he also reminds us why Vanilla Ice's movie Cool as Ice is one of the best horse movies ever. Oh yeah, cat. words of wisdom. Drop that zero and get with the hero. <laughs> Excuse me? On a side note, this episode is part one of our Zappa archive. Next week in our season finale, we will have part two with the iconic Frank Zappa from 1991. As always, we have music critic Mark Allen at the helm conducting the interview. If you'd like to support the show, please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, and Instagram. There, we post other content and information not available on the podcast. If you'd like to read the transcripts for any of our episodes, please head over to our website at thetapesarchive.com. We'll jump into the interview after a quick word from our sponsors. The Tapes Archive is proud to be sponsored by the true crime documentary, Dead Man's Line. You've got a hundred armed officers around here trying to get a shot at me. I dared him to shoot me. I didn't go down there to be a buffoon. I went down there for vengeance. And by God, I have vengeance. In 1977, Tony Karitsis kidnapped a mortgage broker and held him captive for three days. For the first time ever, the media was able to cover the event live. To some, Tony was a hero. To others, he was a crazed thug. Dead Man's Line. The true story of Tony Karitsis. This award-winning film is available exclusively on Amazon Prime. One last thing before we get to the interview, the Tapes Archive podcast is a proud member of Osiris Media, a global community connecting passionate fans with podcasts and experiences about artists and topics you love. Thanks for tuning in, and now it's time to open the vault. Hello, I'm trying to reach Dweezil. Yes. Is this Dweezil? Mm-hmm. Oh, good. Hi, this is Mark Allen. How you doing, man? Good. How are you? I'm doing okay. Uh, Kenmore Square, Howard Johnson, sir. The beauty of it all. Yeah, you're living the high life. We really, really are. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I bet you're happy that you're out on the road now. Uh, oh, yeah. Nothing more exciting than Howard Johnson's. Yeah. And, uh, it's um, the kind of thing that generally we don't even care. As long as the room is clean, we'll stay there, you know? Mm-hmm. And is it clean? Mm, not particularly. Oh, okay. This is not this is not our favorite one on the on the tour. I mean, we were staying in a very nice hotel in, in New York, and and this uh, this is a far cry from where we just were. But it's uh, we didn't plan on really being in the rooms too much. I guess uh, I want to start out by uh, saying condolences about your dad. He was one of my heroes, and I was very sorry to see him go. Yes, but better off that way than it was the other way. Thank yeah. Was it? Was he? Uh, was he very sick? Uh, I'd say yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, obviously, but I mean, uh, yeah. Instead of uh, taking the direction that Z has, did you, uh, being the sons of a famous person, did you consider doing a Wilson Phillips kind of thing? Well, there's no chance of doing a Wilson Phillips kind of thing, you know. I mean, 
they uh, they pretty much had that ground covered, you know. I was hoping he would join Nelson as well, and then Nelson Phillips oh, yeah. could exist. Nelson? <laughs> Nelson Phillips would be probably just what the world needs right now. Uh-huh. Yeah, I forgot about Nelson. You could have done a Nelson thing, too. You yeah, know? that would be fantastic. I think we should all form a band, you know. It would really be exciting. The uh, the uh, children of famous people. Oh yeah. Yeah. Don't you think? Don't you think people would just love that? That would that would be good. Were, were, you, were you in a uh, pictures in Rolling Stone a while back with uh, like Donovan's kid and people like that? I, no, no, no. You weren't in that, okay? I, I I just remember that spread, but I don't remember who was in it. So, other than Donovan's son. Yeah. So, um, anyway, I try, I try not to really uh, get lumped into that. Rock stars, children thing that they do so frequently. Yeah. So, uh, so you won't be on like Sally Jesse or anything like that. No, no, I don't believe I will. No. <laughs> Unless it's for something else, you know, because Sally Jesse. See, I don't like Sally Jesse as much now that she's gone to a major network. She used to be better when she was on the independent station. Why do you think that is? Well, you know, I think they they go uh, they go for the more mainstream stuff now, you know, they used to get the real twisted stuff, you know, on her show before. And she's just, she's getting too comfortable, you know what I mean? Yeah. Too complacent. Don't, I don't like her as much anymore. All right. Well, actually, the, the children of uh, rock stars sounds more like a Vicki Lawrence type thing. So yeah. Maybe that would work. Or Bertie Sperry. I haven't seen that show, so I don't yeah. know. Well, it's painful, so don't okay. worry. <laughs> All right. Um, what, what has been the reaction uh, to Z so far? Um, gee, I, I believe it's uh, been phenomenal. Savory. <laughs> you know, it's... Uh, <laughs> I mean, people just have been waiting for down-home country music like this, and, uh, and it's just it's it's just blowing their minds, <laughs> you know. Uh, man, that, well, that duets thing that you did with the uh, soul performers—that's really, really that was lovely. that was you know a surprise to me you know, yeah. that I did that. I did <laughs> I did not know I did that until just uh, just the other day. Yeah. And, but uh, are you getting? Uh, have you been on the road for a while? Uh, we just started this tour, so we, we did uh, Conan O'Brien in New York the other day, and uh, now we're doing Boston. We were trying to figure out if we we're going to be snowed in today, but it doesn't look like it. We're going to do the show, then we're going to go back to New York, uh, play in New York tomorrow, New Jersey, then Washington, Baltimore, all that kind of stuff, until we make it down towards Indianapolis. And, and then you'll really feel fortunate. Okay. Oh yeah, that's when we'll really feel like we've truly hit the big time. Okay, so so is t- tonight's actually the first night of the, the tour? Tonight would be the first gig, yeah. First gig, yeah, wow. All right, and is this your first tour? Um, no, it's not necessarily our first tour. I think it's the first, it's the first tour that we've done uh, under the name Z uh, playing here in America. We played uh, over the summer in Europe and, you know, We've, done, we've played before, we just, we don't go out that often. Because you end up in Howard Johnson's that aren't clean? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, that, and it's, uh, it's the kind of thing that, you know, we enjoy playing and all that stuff, but there's, there's a lot of hassles that go along with it that we tend to like to avoid. Yeah. Do you think this will be a, a touring band for a while? Will you will you go out on the road, or, or can you do? I would it? think that uh, we'll probably end up doing a lot more touring 
than we expect it to do. Well, tell me about your, your take on uh, this whole business, because it seems to me, uh, having watched you over the years, that you seem to have a, a completely good-natured attitude toward things. Um, you, you seem to have the same sort of contempt that your dad did, but while he always seemed like he was trying to hold back the tide, you seem to be riding the wave with a big smile. Well, you know, in my opinion, there's, there's not much use for being negative 24 hours a day. I mean, I can spend a few minutes of my day uh, being negative, but ultimately I like to enjoy things more than I like to uh, promote my disdain for things. And, uh, you know, I think I used to be a little bit more um, on on edge about things and used to complain about them more than I do now. Now I can't really be bothered. <laughs> it's uh, priorities have completely changed my life. But the uh, thing is, you know, in this, this industry, there's too many people who take themselves too fucking seriously. It's like, uh, you know, I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't understand it because music is far more uh, for the purpose of entertainment than it is, you know, for art these days. There's no, there's no bands out there who are making art. <laughs> you know, it's like, if they're making money, then they should be so lucky and they should shut up, basically, is my, my opinion. You know, if you're making money, you have no right to complain. Do you think there was a time where this was an art, an art-related business? I think there was a time when there was stuff that hadn't been done before and it could have been perceived more uh, of a creative, perhaps even art form, but I think those days have long since been over, certainly with the advent of people watching music instead of listening to music. When would you say it ended? Um, what was the last original stuff? I'm not sure. Hold on. Hello? I love when people just... Yes. They're, they're just... They walk into your room for no reason. Yeah. You know. Well, everybody has a key to that hotel. I know. The beauty. But, uh... I don't know. I would think that sometime in the 80s when it uh, really became a corporate situation that, uh, that everything took a big nosedive. There's always been problems plaguing the industry, of course, but you know, I just think that the whole spark of music has, uh, has gone out. <laughs> so when you look at, the, at stuff like Pearl Jam and Nirvana and the tortured uh, Eddie Vedder soul and the horrible Kurt Cobain life, do you just laugh? Yeah, I laugh because they're making millions of dollars, you know? It's like, so what if you want to live your life looking like a derelict? Fine, you know, but quit your complaining when, you know, you're you're doing what you want to do and you're making a ton of money. I mean, I think that's retarded. Does, uh, does country music have a better idea? Well, country music is, uh, is, is also uh, <laughs> something that is been completely destroyed by <laughs> corporate uh, everything. I mean, country music is is beer music, but I mean, there's there's the sappy love to it too that that are horrifying. But you know, I mean, I I can appreciate uh, certain kinds of country music. I mean, there's certain guitar players who are phenomenal. Mm-hmm. You know, Ricky Skaggs is, is an amazing guitar player. I'm not a hundred percent into everything that he does, but I, I can certainly appreciate his talent. Yeah. yeah. Hey, I actually meant the country music um, 
mentality that, you know, I mean, it seems to me that country music is a little bit more fan-friendly, actually a lot more friendly to the fans, and um, and the artists do a lot less complaining. For well, yeah, you know, you know what it really is, is most of those people who play can actually play. They can actually play, they can actually sing. Mm-hmm. Now, they're not actually doing something that is... Uh, of remarkable musicianship for the most part, but they're doing something that is, it's got a tune and they do it well. And they're, they're happy to be doing what they're doing. They're not sitting there going, you know, God, uh, the world is, is the worst place in the world. I mean, they generally have a positive outlook. So I think perhaps that's why country music and, and all that, people who like it tend to feel like, uh, you know, everything's pretty good. Then there's the people who like to hear just the the really noisy, non-musical, just mess of what is considered cool in the 90s, and I just, I don't get it. What would you like people to know about the shampoo horn? My, my take on it is, I mean, I was very pleasantly surprised. I thought it was a really terrific record. And it's like techno-country gospel, really. That's <laughs> what we're uh, really trying to do with it. The main thing about the band is we... We take what we do seriously, we just don't take ourselves seriously. We have fun, we try to make a record that was good for repeat listening value. It had uh, several different styles of, of music on it. Some people would say that's unfocused, but I mean, our take on that is, I mean, for Christ's sake, God forbid you should give somebody a choice, you know? <laughs> and uh, it's basically a rock record with, you know, lots of guitars and some funny vocals, some funny lyrics. There's just different things. I think it's an overall package that people can enjoy. Yeah, I, I found it very entertaining. And, I, and then, uh, unfortunately, I guess, of course, you can't. It's hard to separate you from, from your father and, and from his legacy. But I, I kept thinking, well, you know, this is the kind of record I, I think he'd be pretty proud of. It just... Yeah, he liked it. He liked it a lot. He heard this record several times because it was, uh, it's been done for a while. We had to... We had some trouble putting it out here in America because we changed our distributor on, on the record company. And uh, so we were sort of held up in, in some red tape kind of situation for for a lengthy period of time. So uh, Barking Pumpkin is uh, not the... I mean, everybody, uh, you know, I've read things and heard things that, that Barking Pumpkin sort of, you know, took um, him uh, out of the... You know, out of having to deal with a lot of the corporate nonsense, but I guess... Uh, well, what you have to do is you still have to be distributed by a major distributor or your record won't be in the store. The key to having people buy your record is having it be in the store. Right. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I mean, with all the corruption that exists, there's fewer and fewer chances for independent labels to continue to even survive unless they have some sort of decent distribution and you have to be able to continually be able to find alternative measures to make people aware of your product or not generally played a whole lot on on radio or on mtv or any of that but in all actuality there's no fucking reason why we shouldn't be you know it's just mtv and, and the radio and all that is just so uh subjective you know they're it's all based on leverage, who you know, blah, 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 all that stuff, how much money you're willing to spend for advertising. It's really quite ugly. So if people knew how the popular, how music got into their hands these days, they, they'd be disgusted, wouldn't they? 
More than likely, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, the, the whole thing is, anything can be popular if you play it enough. I mean, it's been proven time and time again. Nothing's based on talent anymore. It's not based on whether anything's good or, or bad or anything, you know. It's more than likely people decide to uh, push one thing or another based on... Uh, what it looks like to people, not what it sounds like. So uh, are we going to see you on MTV, do you think? One would hope, but I really don't know. It's not, uh, if any of it were up to me, then I'd say, yeah, you'll see me on there. But it's not up to me. It's up to a, a select group of people who get everything for free and just decide uh, because, oh, they got invited to this really cool party or something, you know? It's... It's really quite ugly. Have you done videos? Are there videos yeah, ready for this? We did a few videos. We did one for In My Mind, Loser, and Mommy. So, I mean, I'll, I'll end up making a long-form video one of these days that will be kind of like a movie in a way, just because uh, we have lots of home video stuff that, you know, where we goof off, uh, we make little movies, and we got videos, we got the making of the record, we got all kinds of stuff. So when I ultimately make one of these things it will be it'll be pretty funny uh tell me about being the uh, voice on Duckman. well i haven't seen how it turned out yet but i i had a good time doing it i think it's uh i think it's gonna be really funny the little bits of the artwork that i've seen they pay careful attention to detail and it's sort of a skewed perspective kind of uh thing so it, it, it looks different and i think that the people who you know wrote it and people who did the voices are all talented so it has every chance or it should at least have every chance of being a, a very well liked show and, and what happened to uh, the normal life sitcom well that's an entirely different situation altogether you know there there was another form of just a complete nightmare do the words thespian penitentiary mean anything to you <laughs> it's uh <laughs> I've never heard them used together, but... <laughs> yeah, well, let me uh, put it to you this way. The, uh, we were meant to do a show that was something along the lines of the Adams Family, but the network decided uh, at the last minute to make us do something along the lines of Charles in Charge. <laughs> and we were not very fond of that notion, but yet we were bound to this contract, and we just wrote it out like a really bad fucking ride at an amusement park. And when it was time to promote the thing, we pretty much told people that, uh, <laughs> yeah, because we had such a miserable, miserable time doing it. We hated the writers, we hated the producers, we didn't like the network. I mean, it was like, these people were just torturing us, basically. We, we asked them, <laughs> why? Why did we have to be part of this? Why didn't they just recast people? But they just forced us to uh, participate in this thing. and. We said, okay, uh, when you want us to promote it. Uh, that would be something if it was the worst show ever made. Well, unfortunately, it really wasn't the worst show ever made, <laughs> you know? So we didn't even have that to, uh, you know, aspire to at that point. It was just like somewhere in between, and that's like about the worst thing, you know, you can deal with. It's like, it's not good, but it's not the worst, you know? It's like just devoid of uh, anything, but... You know, I mean, it's just shocking. You see things like fucking Saved by the Bell, the college years, and you're wondering how people watch that and think it's really good. Yet it's one of the most popular shows in the world. And Baywatch, for Christ's sake. 
My favorite plausible episode was the uh, the one where the fine David Hasselhoff character, who I believe his name is Mitch, let's just call him Mitch. Okay. Mitch is trying to save two of his lifeguards from a serial killer who has them in a tower. He's threatening to kill them, and of course the FBI and SWAT teams are on the beach, but Mitch refuses to let them take control. He says, this is my beach. As if a lifeguard is going to have jurisdiction over the FBI. So that's the first thing that uh, you're, you're having trouble believing, but then it all becomes possible when he does this. He decides to get a grid map of the sewage system underneath the the beach and he knows somehow where all the lifeguard stations are above ground. So he's under the sand and decides to cut through a big pipe and swim through the sand like a gopher would under the ground uh, over to this, uh, this fucking lifeguard station. They, they actually had him burrowing underground. They made this trail. It looked like a gopher trail. And he had a little, like, he had a, a can of air, just a little can, not like a scuba gear, just a little can of air, some fins, and this, like, periscope thing. You make it sound so silly. I know, because, you know, it was really well done on the show. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, I mean, I'm just shocked and amazed that no one balked at that. They're like, yeah, okay, that could happen. Now, you know, somebody would ask, and I will ask you, why did you watch it? Well, because I was fascinated. I mean, I'm I'm more I'm more excited by bad television and bad entertainment than I am by what's you know meant to be good. I I would race out to see several bad movies before I'd race out to see anything that was highly acclaimed or was meant to win an Academy Award. So so give me some other uh, some must see bad entertainment uh, of any kind, not just movies. Did, did you see uh, Cool as Ice? No, I know ISIS movie. I I actually own a copy. Uh-huh. Uh, that's how good this movie is. Now picture a place that you're meant to believe exists, where you have the mountains, the beach, and the desert within about a five minute ride on a motorcycle. Geographically, I'm not sure where that is. Yeah, I think it's meant to be in America, but uh, I'm just not sure. Then with dialogue where. Here's a situation that got so out of control. Here's a guy who became a superstar for no apparent reason. And they said, yeah, let's really cash in on this. And we'll even let him improv a couple of lines in the movie. And the best being, lose the zero, get with the hero. (laughs) That's pretty much the way I run my life now. That's good. Gotta see that. Let's see. Probably one of the best terrible movies that was ever made was made a long time ago, and they always played around the Oscar time. I'm sure you've probably seen it. It's called The Oscar. No, can't say that. Tony Bennett, in his finest performance, his acting debut, he's basically the best friend of this guy who, his character's name is Frankie Fane, and he is so over the top, this guy, not Tony, well, Tony's over the top too, but this one guy, I've forgotten his name for the moment, but he he should be recognized as the finest Hollywood actor of all time. This guy is so scary in this, uh, in this movie. But basically, he wants an Oscar so bad that he's willing to kill for one. But in this movie, I mean, Tony Bennett, he's like, you know, he gets he gets kicked out of his best friend's house or something, and he spends the night in an alley.
he's going, and I was lying there, Frankie, twitching, twitching just like a spastic, Frankie. <laughs> okay, Tony, with uh, with that as your debut, you know you're you're pretty darn excited. <laughs> and uh, I, I gotta find that. Is it that's on video? Yeah, you'll, oh, okay. you'll easily be able to find that on video. It's called the Oscar, and it's it's seriously. You'll want to see that, and especially the part in the movie where Jill St. John does the cat dance. Okay. That's uh, that's probably the finest family entertainment you can get. The movie is all around just spectacular, and and, and they they run it like on uh, Turner Broadcasting, you know, like uh, Oscar night. Usually, you should you come come Oscar night, you know, you'll probably be able to find it on TV, you know, once or twice. Check your local listings. I'm sure, I'm sure it'll be there. Uh, let me see what else I want to ask you. A question or two about uh, your dad, if you don't mind. I've, I've read a lot of things about what you've, you know, what you've said about him and, and all. But I'm wondering, is it? Uh, I'm sure that creatively, it must have been wonderful to grow around, up around somebody like that. But is it also a little intimidating because uh, you know it was just so amazing? It was intimidating sometimes to uh, to speak with him because you felt like if you weren't talking about something that uh, had some sort of importance in some fashion that you were wasting his time, <laughs> you know, because he was, uh, it's one of those people who had such a remarkable uh, ability to store information that he was just a walking encyclopedia, and, and you really, you had to be on your toes to talk to him, you know, you didn't want to just talk to him about, uh, unless it was something goofy and was guaranteed for laughs, then, uh, you know, then you, you, you want to you wanted to basically uh, learn something every time you you, you know you talked to him, and they, they, he was he was great for that. I interviewed him once, and he said that that basically all the guitar stuff that he did just was stuff that came out of his head. He he mm-hmm. couldn't really recreate it so much as it, it just he heard the sounds and he could play it, then teach himself to play it on the guitar. Um, could you learn from from him? I mean, I, I've read that you've said you you know that Eddie Van Halen inspired you, but mm-hmm. uh, could you learn guitar from him? I've played with him on several occasions, you know, on stage and just sitting around, and certainly you could learn from him, but the uh, the thing is he had such a unique style that was uh, so completely awkward uh, in, in terms of the style of guitar playing that sort of evolved uh, in the last, I guess, 15 years with a lot of people achieving a certain amount of technique. You know, his was... Um, technique that only he could really do and that's what made it so so peculiar i mean he had a very strange picking style and he had weird fingerings for stuff so you really had to watch and listen as opposed to like you know some people you can hear what they're doing and you can play it pretty you can pick it out pretty easily him you'd have to see how he did it to make it make any sense because it's just it's just unique to him and that's what's so cool about all of his music it was it was unique to him and uh, there's few people who have that ability with their with their music to make their music unique to them you know a lot of people can write a song and then anybody can play it and cover it and it can sound good but you know if you're trying to do some of my dad's music unless you play it the way he intended, it does not sound right. And as far as, as the songs that he wrote, um, Black Napkins was always my favorite. Did, yeah, did I really like that one too. Yeah, was there anything uh, else that you uh, that you always really admired? My favorite song when I was little was Peaches on Regalia. You know, whenever they played that, I just I always think that's the uh, one of the greatest melodies. You know, it's just really it's an excellent piece of music, and we play that when we play live. 
Oh, really? Okay. So, so you'll do that here? Uh, while you play live? Yeah. So we, play, we play some of the songs. We play Dirty Love and Eat That Question. And, you know, we, we play a few little things. I appreciate all your time. I'm looking forward to seeing the show. Yeah. Hey, thanks for listening to the Tapes Archive podcast. Please remember you can always find more information about the show and the individual episodes at our website, thetapesarchive.com. Until next time, the vault is closed. <laughs>